One mic. One mic. One mic. One mic. Yeah. Oh, Make up their mind about what they're gonna do, but because he's kind of like, more of a guide, though, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Like you're not trying to like live someone's life for them, right? That's <laughs> hard to do when you're. Advice, you that's know. that's hard to do when it's somebody you care about, though. Yeah, I mean, because it's like you do, and then another thing that I thought about too was like, uh, uh, what was his name, Costamato, uh, Tyson's oh, Tyson's coach, trainer, yeah. because what he did was um, he took Tyson and he was just like. You know, I'm going to make you, you know, the youngest championship of the world. Don't question it. You know what I'm saying? And he didn't. And, you know, he, he, Tyson, you know, you know, he, he did Tyson shit. You know what I mean? But he almost followed to the letter. And that's how he became the greatest fighter in the world. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, you know, I guess to have that dependence upon someone and then knowing that they're not going to be there forever, mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of like, okay, so then what do you do once they're gone now? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I know one thing with my dad, and I told, I talked to him about this, and I said, uh, you know, you never talked to me about spirituality. You never talked to me about finances. You know, and he's doing all right. You know, he's doing all right financially. So I'm like, <laughs> you could have gave me, you know, the, the leg up, and I could have took it to the next level at least, you know. But I also feel like if I hadn't searched and went the way that I would have went, then I wouldn't probably value currency the way that I do. Mm-hmm. And not knowing, because, I mean, you talk to anybody, and they're like, yeah, I need some money. I need money. And I'm to the point where it's like, I don't need money. Money needs me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, if you sit here and you see a dollar and you pick it up off the ground, you know what I mean? It's just a piece of paper. But with, with me, well, shit, I can multiply it. Yeah, it's like a raw material you have to yeah. transform into something. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and 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 so that's why I was like, you know, money is worthless. But if I would have went under his wing, I'm, I'm not saying yes or no, but if I would have went under his wing, there's a chance that, you know, money would have just been this consumption thing. You know, it's like, you know, hey, you know, let's go out. Well, how much is that going to cost? You know, it just would have been every type of dollar type of deal behind every movement that I make instead of living my life, yeah. you know? So, so that's what I'm saying is that, you know, you can give some guidance and I think that's what all people are going to take anyway, but they are going to have to make their own decisions and live their own lives. What's up everybody. This is Dwight with another random, what the fuck with another random, uh, podcast. I'm not on any social media or anything. So, I don't know how to promote this. And the only way that I can be found is through email. That's the number one, M-I-C-D-W-I-G-H-T at Gmail. And uh, with me, my guest co-host tonight is the King of Sam's. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, brother? Guys, what's happening? Hey, man. Uh, you are like one of the only people that I can actually have on here and just shoot from the hip. 
about, you know, just freestyling and shit. And uh, it's kind of dope because, you know, I'm always in the studio and I'm always writing down shit. So just to uh, freestyle gives me a little bit of freedom, you know, a little bit of open. And we will try to stay on track. But if we don't, man, fuck it. <laughs> you know, let's just let's just go. No, yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Man, the, oh. the craziest thing about that custom auto guy, I'm pretty yes. sure he died before Mike Tyson became champion. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think it was a couple of fights, you know, maybe one or two before he did become champion. But, you know. You got to wonder what kind of motivation that gave Tyson, though. Like, <laughs> oh, well, actually, uh, I do remember that time. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't Everybody knew he was going to fuck that person up in the in the name of Customato because we were watching Tyson come up and, you know, he was knocking motherfuckers out and everything. And of course, it was on HBO during that time. And so they were showing the relationship between Tyson and Customato, you know, and throughout. So everybody was aware. I mean, you know, uh, we were aware of him, you know, in his uh, Golden Glove days when he was, you know, damn near. And so my thing is this, man, is like, um, if you cannot control your emotions, what can you control in this world? And I think there was a false sense of control with Tyson because even though he was following the directions of Customato, Customato was controlling his emotions. And so then once Customato was gone, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, where's your God now type of deal. Yeah. Who was the guy? And wasn't responsible for himself to some degree, but definitely a negative influence, it seemed like. Yeah, but you know, yeah, and then, you know, it, it was a whole bunch of stuff, but I think that, and, you know, once again, I think either we talked about this or it was happening at some point, where I think that a lot of stuff was the best things that, that ever happened to him, that, you know, he didn't have all his money, because I know... From my perspective, when I was 19 and I was making good money, I was just throwing money at my problems and I was never taking care of the situation. So, you know, once that money is removed and you got to figure out a way, you know, that's when you start to, you know, realize who you are as a person and and what you need to do uh, to figure out these problems. And so uh, once, you know, all my troubles started piling up and it became beyond my finances, that's when I actually had to uh, you know, get sober. And so I think that was like, you know, a good thing that happened with Tyson, especially, you know, from where he came from when, you know, his life had been spared so many times for good or for bad. And that's just kind of how I see it. It's like, you know, was it really bad? I mean, you know, he's got his own podcast show. He's got his own, you know, uh, field of weed and, you know, he's, he's got all kinds of business ventures. Yeah. He's a family man. It's so it's one of my favorite Mike Tyson quotes, kind of in the same vein. He's uh, he said, "God tests you by giving, by giving you everything you wanted to see if you could handle it." <laughs> yeah, and and I know for for me that I'm thankful that I never got everything I wanted. You know, I mean, it's like I I, I look at you know, you know, you can look, you can kind of guess the trajectory trajectory that you're headed in. And you throw some money behind it and it makes you just more faster and more accurate to what you're aiming at. It makes you more of what you were or makes you more of what you are, man. And I think I would have done a lot more damage if if money was involved. Yeah. 
Yeah, they say money doesn't change people, it just amplifies who you are. Yeah, yeah. Deep down. Exactly, exactly. And, um, yeah, I did not like that. <laughs> and I think that, you know, without money, you can still be rich. You know, there's an abundance of love. There's an abundance of, and I know this cliche and shit, man, but it's true. Because it's just kind of like, you know, I tell people, you know, that I'm wealthy. Um, and that, you know, rich would just be with the money. And so, you know, I have a wealth of love, a wealth of knowledge. Man, honestly, you know, there's nothing else that I could actually need in order to be a success. So to amplify that, it's just kind of like, I feel like the money for me now, not not then, but the money for me now, I would still live the same life, but I would just help more people. Yeah, some people are so poor, all they have is money. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly, man. I mean, a broken spirit, you know, poor health, you know. I mean, so anyways, one thing that I kept going in my mind is we kind of touched on it a little bit. And I was just telling you why I couldn't fuck with white girls. <laughs> the pogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I, it's, it's not, believe it or not, it's not a racist thing. It just basically has to do with my experience and my journey through what I've been through. And it's not even white girls per se, but it's the fact that once lust enters my bloodstream and what's available, you know, during that time changes who I am, who, who I am as a person. So, you know, I've always made the reference to cocaine, like, you know, white girl and everything like that. So it's just kind of like once that sniff hits my brain and it enters the bloodstream, once you, you know, it's just kind of like once you hit that cigarette, you know, or once you hit that weed and that THC or that nicotine hits the bloodstream, you, you don't become a completely different person, but you are not the same person. You know, you can't just take one drag of a cigarette and just be like, hey, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> you know, uh, if you if you're an overeater, you know what I'm saying? It's just kind of like. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that, you know, I don't have a problem with white people or white girls. I don't see them as inanimate objects. I don't try to manipulate them or anything like that because it's that that celibacy, you know, and that time away from porn and all of that stuff that that clarity has actually, you know, reprogrammed me, has changed my mind. But I do know that that underlying um, addiction is still there. And so once lust does enter my bloodstream, it does change my perception. So I'm talking from the, the brain of an addict when I say I can't fuck with white girls because it's the simple fact that uh, throughout my sexual career, <laughs> my illustrious sexual career, undefeated. <laughs> undefeated. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you my record. It's gross. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of white girls in there. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is like you know I lost my virginity to a white girl. Um, you know. Uh, a lot of the relationships that I was in, you know, during my during my deepest, darkest moments were with cocaine and white girls and, you know, all on the Internet. It was always with white girls. And so not that they have to change, but 
I changed. And so that's why I can't because my perception uh, will go back to that. So, you know, when I'm at work, I can, you know, conversate, I can flirt, you know, everything's good, you know, and that should be a good thing because it's like I cannot objectify these women because if I do, I become a different person. So it's just kind of like I said, you know, once, you know, I can, I can, you know, listen to, you know, hip hop music talking about selling bricks, you know, stove guy cook, you know, he's one of my favorite, you know, dudes right now. And, you know, to me, that's far away. But I can't be in the same room with cocaine. You know, I got to leave. So I can't be in an intimate situation with a white girl to where, you know, it's just me and her and we're having a sexual conversation. You know, why would I do that to myself? If you're an overeater and, you know, you are, you know, what business do you have up in Burger King? <laughs> oh, well, they got salads there. Man, they got salads everywhere. Matter of fact, they got salad. They got Salads at the grocery store. Go make your own salad. You know, don't, you don't have to go. So, so it's like I don't put myself in those situations to where lust becomes a factor and it overpowers me and my perception. Because, you know, just like an alcoholic, you know, one drink and once that enters the bloodstream, man, you know, I become a different person. So, you know, one one objectification that happens to be a white girl, you know. It's going to because and that's because of my history. You know what I mean? Now, not, not I'm not sitting here telling anybody they can't talk to white girls or that white people are the devil or anything like that. But it's just because of my history and my experience in that. I, I can't do that. I don't even know if I could be in a relationship with a white girl at this point. I know I can't be in a casual relationship, yeah. you know, and that's based on the same premise because because once I, you know, once I once I go into that to that realm then casual sex because I was at a point where I had casual sex to not be in a relationship <laughs> you know what I'm saying it was actually hurting my chances because it was almost like you know I was going to um, McDonald's you know for, for, for dinner in order to not have you know a home cooked meal mm. have you heard the phrase uh, canary in the coal mine yeah yeah so would you say like not just, because uh, I'm sure there'd be a difference where, like, if you meet someone, you kind of have this organic connection, and it leads to, like, intimacy, obviously, and they happen to be white. That would be different than, like, seeking out someone who is white to, like, fulfill the... Right. Oh, um, yeah. So it's like, if you find yourself seeking out people, like, or women, just because specifically they're white, it's kind of like your canary. <laughs> like, yeah. Falling, falling back into this pattern of lust. You know? That was the thing that used to drive me crazy living here in Springfield and, and being around, you know, several black dudes is they would always be like, man, I'm going to talk to a white girl because... You know, black girls are too mean or black girls have these standards or, you know, it's just this whole generalization on color. And that's definitely where, you know, I would differ from them because, you know, I could fuck anything. I can manipulate anyone. You know, uh, when I was in Texas, there was girls that couldn't even speak English. And, you know, I was making that shit happen. So so it's definitely not from the point of seeing a color as ob objectification. And that's what I was definitely trying not to make my point. You know, by saying I can't fuck with white girls because for the simple fact, what it is, is, is the, it's the premise of my experience on how society has treated a certain group of people. So if you have a 
say, 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 a, a, I don't know, a Middle Eastern, you know, woman or a light skinned woman, you know, that's lived in the suburbs and lived this privileged life. And she saw me as a certain way and she came at me like that. I would do the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like it, it would it would be this type of manipulation that I would try to. Uh, like I said, once the lust hits the bloodstream, then it's just it's just the things that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, yeah, because it's it's almost like you're not being intimate with like an individual person. Yes. You're just the, the archetype of the white female. Yes, like, yes. Know, <laughs> like they're all the same. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and varying in different degrees. Yeah. So, so that's what it would, that's exactly uh, how it would go. And because I live in Springfield, where it's, where, you know, it's a dime a dozen, that's why I say that. Because that's basically, it's almost, you know, black and white here for the most part. So, yeah. Um, but then other than that, oh, I know another thing that I talked to Trey about earlier too. And it's just kind of like, you know, this whole friendship standpoint and how I can talk to you about certain things, you know. And it's not that I'm hiding or with withholding, you know, anything from you, but it's just kind of like. You bring out the best of me when we have these types of conversations about that. And I can't talk to anyone else about certain things that has your knowledge in it. So that's why I take advantage of that. And that's how I do with everybody. So it's hard to say that I have a best friend because that would negate all the other friendships that I've had. I've got I got a long-standing friendship with people even though we don't talk as often as hell as often as you and I do. Yeah. This person remembers me back, you know, when I had a missing tooth and, you know, yeah. before the tattoos and all that other shit, you know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, I've had friends that, you know, I've known at a short period of time, but I had to know them very closely. Mm-hmm. And you know, they know what I'm really scared of. And then I got friends in the AA community and in the SA community and all these other things. And no one is higher than the other because I need all you guys. And so what I come to realize is that, you know, I'm my best friend, yeah. you know, and I think that that's one of the best people to have around because they don't have really too much of skin in the game in telling you something. Because they can walk away from this relationship like, look, man, I'm telling you that you're fucking up and I can't be around you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whereas someone else would be like, well, I don't want to tell him because, you know, they're going to, you know, we'll lose our friendship. And they place more value on the friendship than the individual. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's a little paradoxical because I was thinking about it the other way. Like, if I'm not very close with someone. uh. Like, I, I just feel like it's not my place to, sell, like, try to tell someone how to live their life. But then the closer I do get to someone, it, it, like, loops back around where you're, like, not attached at all. So you can tell them to, like, fix their shit or you're yeah. not going to hang out with them. Uh, but then it comes back around. Where, like, if I had a, if my brother was, like, an alcoholic, I'd be like, uh, look, I know you're on your, your own man and everything, but, like, you, you can't be doing this. Like, <laughs> right. Whereas if it's someone like I just casually knew, like I got a buddy, his his dad died from I think alcoholism related like kidney failure, liver failure, and like I get it, that sucks. And he already drank pretty heavy before that, but then he was drinking all the time after that, and I'm just like, man, like, 
if I knew him better, and maybe that was just me being a coward, but <laughs> if I knew him better, I, it's one of those things you just have to have like a, uh, what do they call Intervention? it? Like an unpleasant truth moment. Oh, it's like, yeah. It's like, a, like the best thing I could do for you, even if I offend you, would be to like try to get you off that path. But Okay, well, my thing is this, is that I look at it from a selfish perspective, like I can't be around that. Yeah, no, you know what yeah. I mean. Whether whether I know you or not, mm-hmm. you know. So even if we're fresh in the relationship, and I'll just be like, "Look, man, you may not know this about me, but you know, I can't be hanging out at the bars with you." Or you know, "Look, man, you know me. You know I can't be at those bars." So <laughs> so I look at it from a selfish preservation standpoint, and then not only that, but it's just kind of like you know, I also look at it like you're the average of your five friends, and I'm trying to keep my averages high. Yeah, you know. So it's like the weakest person. You know, it's just kind of like you're and that's the thing. You're free to live your life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like you know, and I'll, I would almost be remiss if I didn't say anything, but I don't put it to the point where I'm trying to change anybody's life. I'm just letting them know that what I attract, it, it, it comes from a place of, you know, like I'm trying to bring the best out of myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I try to be, you've been around people who bring out the worst in you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, man, I never used to cuss this much until I got around this person. And so I want to be that person that brings out the best in people. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's more rare. And so I think that, you know, that catches a lot of people off guard. I don't know what the best in you is. I don't. But I know that it might have to do with being financially fit, spiritually fit, physically fit, mentally fit, you know, and that's however you see it fit. If you think mediocre is being, you know, fit. Yeah. (laughs) If you think that's being fit, then, you know, you can't be mad at me for moving on. Yeah. And so that's all I'm saying is, is, you know, because that's when it comes down to the point. Hey, Dwight, you know, what are you doing today? Oh, well, I'm doing dope shit. You know what I'm saying? And you can come along if you want, yeah. but don't bring their, don't bring your mediocre, your mediocre, you know, excuse having ass attitude with it. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying as far as like, you know, cause like I said, no one has to change, yeah. but I can change my friends. You oh. know what I'm saying? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Especially uh, with all your like personal situations you've got to deal with already, like exactly you you, you become your your own uh, harshest critic in a way. Yeah, and so when when someone refuses to like uh, accept responsibility for themselves, it almost just irritates you even more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you know. I'll mention it to them, and then it's just like, if they're cool with it, then there should be this understanding that, you know, I'm moving on. And that's the thing, too, is that I'm moving regardless. So if you're excelling in your life, then, you know, because I really think that your success is my success. But your failures are going to be lessons that you need to learn because I failed enough by myself. And so, you know, if someone keeps on failing and they ask me for help, man, I'll stop the world. To help somebody. Hey, I think I am drinking a little bit too much. What should I do? Yeah. You know, that's when it's like, okay, you know, let, let, you know. And so that's when the real friendship comes into play. But, you know, to, um, to, to, to have somebody in my life 
and, you know, they smoke a little weed, watch a little porn, you know, trip a little bit and everything like that. You know, hey, do you, man. You know what I mean? But like I said, you know, it's like, how close are we getting? You know, because we're not getting any closer. And I think that, you know, with me being a self-maintenance person and an accountable person, that is what attracts people to me because I'm not always crying and I do bring new ideas and I do bring. And so once someone's attracted to me and then they're, they, they, they don't understand why I'm not hanging out with them anymore, that's when I give them the opportunity to say, well, this is what is perceived to me. You know, on my road to success, and I'm not seeing this from you. So, so it's not like I'm, you know, like somebody, like, like if you came over drunk, man, shit. The only thing, <laughs> the only way that I would step in is like, you can't drive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I cannot let you drive. But if you want to keep drinking, man, shit, I'll, I'll, I'll even go with you, go get beer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm like, you're ready to pass out here, or I'm taking you home. You know, it's one or the other. That's the only way I would intervene. And I would do that whether it's a friend or a stranger or whatever. Well, I don't know if it's a stranger because if a stranger throws up in my whip, man, there's going to be consequences. (laughs) It's like you might as well walk home drunk or whatever, you know. But Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever had experiences like this, but uh, I was thinking about this in the car earlier. Uh, Like, I feel like it's, it's okay to ask for help, but it... It really irritates me when people expect like sympathy, because because they're they're like if someone's struggling, they come to you for help, and they actually like want to help themselves. It's almost like a, a small honor in a way, right? But yeah, I agree. If if someone comes to you with their problems and they're they're trying to gain like sympathy from you without actually trying to help themselves at all, like that's uh they're just like uh they're taking the wrong approach completely, and I just I can't stand that. You know, I worked at the victim center because of that, because I felt like, you know, I was uh, I was cold to a lot of people. Uh, It was it was kind of a way of me making amends to people that I had hurt, the people that manipulated. And to be honest with you, the one thing that I didn't even like was the name victim center. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because that's how people came in. Yeah. This happened to me. This external force that's beyond my control is dominating my life and I don't have any will. I don't have any say. I don't have any power. And I think that for me, I cannot even be that way in that mindset for 24 hours. I try to give people 24 hours to get to, to do that, but I can't even do that for 24 hours. Um, I think that once you become a victim, as soon as you, that, that should be somebody's rock bottom. And then that's when they start to become a survivor. Mm-hmm. And a part of that survival is accountability. And you have got to say, and then a lot of people like, okay, you know, I can't, you can't control a rape. You can't control, you know, a shooting, mm-hmm. but you can control what happens after that. Because if you're still alive, then there's something that you can do, you know, and if you choose to relive that over and over again, then, you know, then, then that, that's what's won. And there's nothing that you or I can do about that. Yeah. So, so I think the first step in becoming a survivor is the accountability. And once, cause I, I always wondered, man, it's like, why did people help me? I, I said the same thing that a lot of people had said before and I didn't believe them, but why are people believing me? And it's because I was, oh, I put myself there. 
You know what I mean? I always accepted that. I did dumb shit and I did it over and over again. But I was like, I'm the common denominator in all my fucking problems. And so I didn't realize that, but that's why people helped me. And I didn't complain. You know what I mean? They were like, are you willing to do what we are doing for as long as it takes to get better? Mm. And I was just like, fuck it. Yeah. You know? And so that's the thing. You know, once you start helping somebody and start compromising, you know, that's a deterrent, man. It's like, man, this ain't a negotiation. You was over here crying like a little bitch just a minute ago, talking about, you know, you needed help and ain't nobody there for you. And then once I throw you a, a life preserver, you want to sit here and complain about the color? Yeah. You know? Can't you know, it's like, shit. Well, this ain't, you know, I'm trying, I'm just trying to get my girl back. I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to get $1,000 in the bank. Oh, well, shit, go play some scratch-offs then, you know? Yeah, like, it, it is important. You kind of have to keep the human element. Like, you were saying, like, some things happen to you, and uh, it's, like, unfortunate. Yeah. And uh, people deserve emp- empathy for that, but after that, it's, unfortunately, it's still your responsibility to deal, to deal with it. Yeah, you got to live that life for yeah. sure. I agree, man. I agree. Um, switching gears real quick. Uh, I know one of the things that would always that that I'm still wrapping my head around is um this thing where I'm 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 so close and and, and when I think about like a Buddhist and how we are all one, right? But it's not. It's, it doesn't seem like that. What that means to me is that I, I don't I don't know exactly what that means but now I'm starting to think of it like from a from a uh okay this is how I see it it's just kind of like the more people I'm around the more personalities I see in my head of me oh okay yeah okay yeah and so it's just kind of like to not even sit here you know you know you know like when you see a crazy crazy man walking down the street talking to himself that's basically what I feel like I'm doing a lot of times, <laughs> you know, talking to you, talking to my sister, talking to my daughter, talking to my mom. It's all these different personalities that are actually a part of me. And that's how I relate to people. And so that's how I think. And not only that, but it's different times in my life, you know, because uh, I know for a while there, like, for example, the relationship with my daughter. It was rough for me, you know, because it was like I would try to, you know, drop all these gems to her, tell her all this shit that, you know, I wish people had told me and just all this other stuff. And, you know, my sister, she kept on saying, oh, well, you know, she's 24 and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but I wasn't like that when I was 24. I was cool with my mom. You know, I was cool. You know, I was I was like I was trying to compare my relationship with my parent with the relationship that my daughter has, you know, with her parents. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it wasn't like that. But then I started looking at it from the relationship standpoint that I had with the God of my understanding. And at 24, I was treating the God of my understanding like my daughter treats. I'm not comparing myself to God by any means, but that gave me the understanding that once I came around and you know I started getting my shit together, the God of my understanding actually started to have all this stuff prepared while I was still trying to figure it out. And that's kind of what I'm doing with my daughter. 
You know, I'm still trying to build all this stuff, even though she doesn't return my text, even though she forgets to call, even though she makes she breaks promises and times and she shows up late and all this other shit, which, you know, in all actuality, you know, it it doesn't really bother me because I keep on doing what I was going to do anyway. When I tell her, you know, I'm going someplace and, you know, she's like, hey, I'm like, hey, you can meet me there now because I'm already leaving. It's not like I'm waiting to go because of her. So, and I felt like that's what God was doing with me. You know what I mean? It was like, God was like, you know, this, this, this world is not going to stop because you're running behind. Yeah, you missed the appointment, man. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, 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 you know, it, it, and so that's when, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to God, but that's where I base myself on the image of God. You know what I mean? Is, is that, you know. That that is my father, just like I'm my daughter's father, and so that's why I keep on building this stuff. So you know, like I said, so at 24, that was my relationship. Um, there was this girl that I met online, this nurse, and you know, she was super freak, super thick. You know, just you know, I I mean, I was I was I was still figuring out my sexual sobriety, you know. And I kept on calling her my relapse. She's on like one of my first episodes of this podcast, you know. And uh I just kept on referring to her as my relapse and all this other shit. And you know, it kind of pissed her off, but that's what she was, you know, cuz I was still trying to figure this shit out. And for me, she was my sexual ego. You know what I mean? That's the part of of my brain that she really represented to me. She was a person and she had, you know, mom, dad, she was a mother, she was a nurse. She had all of this stuff, but her character to me in my life was that for some reason, every single job that I've worked, I've came across a 20 something year old underground hip hop head that smoked weed. You know what I mean? And it was just like every single job. And, you know, it was always the same thing. You know, I would say a lyric or they would say a lyric or they would have a T-shirt or, you know, something would happen and it would just be this instant connection because, you know, underground hip hop, especially in Springfield, Missouri, is very rare. And so, you know, just to share that with somebody, you know, every single place, it's just kind of like you guys are all different in your own way. But there's that archetype of a 20 year old (laughs) underground hip hop, you know that knows old school that knows you know what's going on and everything like that and and that was a that was a common common bond so so there there is a part of me as a matter of fact I don't know if I told you this or not but uh, when I was in my 20s and um, this white dude was telling we you know Wu-Tang was hot and he was tell, he he was teaching me about the five percenters Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was like, this might be weird coming from a white dude. And I was like, no one else has talked to me about this, you know? And so not only did that give me an openness to willing, willingness to listen, you know, despite the messenger, you know, it's about the message, you know? And so, yeah, man, it's just kind of like, there's that, there's, I guess maybe it is Buddhist. I don't know, but there's that oneness. Yeah. You know what I mean? And everywhere that I go and every person that I see. So that's all the good shit. So even when I see like, you know, the people that I work with, some of them are just, you know, like lazy, you know, and it's just kind of like they take pride in their laziness. And sometimes that's me. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, it's even easier just to do the job than to not do it. But they don't do it because then they'll be like, no, somebody will expect me to do it. <laughs> 
And I'm just like, man, what the fuck? Just do the fucking, why are you here? I have to look at myself and say, where in my life am I being that lazy and that difficult to deal with? And there are certain things that I need to do in order to complete my sobriety. You know, I need to go talk to certain people that I've been dragging my ass on. I need to go try to make an at least attempt to go make amends with people. So once I start seeing those fat, lazy people, I'm just like, okay, I'm seeing that because game recognized game. And so there comes in that that oneness because everybody that I'm around, I see myself in in, in them in some part. Yeah, I got huge into Buddhism. Uh, recently, I've kind of been getting into some like Christian mysticism. But even just to bring it down to like just a material perspective, like humans are pretty much all the same. Like we all manifest ourselves differently as, as like people, but... I, I mean, I definitely agree. I feel like understanding other people, you kind of just see the patterns of, of like the relationship between people in the world and how all the different roles work. Mm. And uh, especially just understanding how other things affect other people. You can kind of like fit that that logic or that sequence into your own life somehow. Yeah. And I, it, it kind of yeah. works both ways, I guess. Like understanding yourself will let you hopefully understand other people mm -hmm. to some degree as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for the most part is as, as like divided as people like to make themselves sometimes, like we all live a pretty similar life in the end. I think that is so hard whenever there's, there's a, there's this girl that lives in uh, out West mm -hmm. and she's just like, I can't believe that, you know, we're this close and we're just so different. And I was just like, from a label standpoint, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just kind of like if you want to use labels, but then even if you use labels, you know, it's just kind of like it's the obvious superficial ones. But other than that, it's just kind of like, do you love your mom? Oh, I love my mom. Yeah. Do you like food? Hey, I like food too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, you know, so, so I think it's more obvious to pick out the differences and that's what really sucks. So it's like, you know, when somebody's going through something, you know, when you're talking about, um, Somebody who's like, you know, searching for help, but they're not really doing anything themselves. You know, if I keep hearing that over and over, I start to look reflectively inside myself on what do I need to start working on that's crying out for help. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's once again, that's how I turn it into myself. And that actually helps me talk to people, you know, instead of being this cold hearted, you know, hey, you know, you got to admit that you're the problem. That way you can figure out that you're the solution type of deal yeah. because that works for me from, from a certain standpoint. But like I said, there's other ways where I've been, you know, still a boy, mm. you know, that I've never dealt with. I, man, I, I want to say that my house is almost all clean, man. I really yeah. do, but it'll never be. I know that, you know, there's always stuff to work on and everything, especially as I keep on adding additions to that place. But I really feel like um, when when we start pointing out our differences, because because to me that's that that's that's the closest that you're going to get into walking in someone's shoes mm. is understanding their journey. You don't have to know their journey. You don't have to know the. You know that's that's what really gets me about people. They're like, okay, let me start from the beginning, <laughs> so you understand. And I'm like, well, here's the thing: if you start from the beginning. I would do the exact same thing that you did to end up where you are. You know what I'm saying? If I were you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you want to tell me this story. I mean, where do you want me to sit here and say, no, that's not me? 
You know what I mean? But it's just kind of like, if you want me to understand your whole journey, yes, I would have done that. Yes, I would have married her. Yes, I would have worked there because I'm you. You know, so it's just kind of like I feel like, you know, when people reach out, you know, part of them is seeking a they are seeking some type of solution. You know, I don't know if they're really, you know, ready or willing to do the work, you know, yet. (laughs) But, you know, I think that I think that a lot of times, you know, they may just want to even hear something, you know, and maybe eventually they'll get around to it you know it's just kind of like well i'm not ready to jump just yet but you know i want to make sure that somebody's going to be there to catch me and it's just kind of like you can't worry about somebody being down there to catch you you got to learn how to fly once you jump well and some people is like as sad as it sounds they just need someone to tell them that they can jump in the first place Ooh. what's what's the the classical example the circus elephants they uh with the chain yeah that they They'll chain them to a tree at first or whatever, but they'll... When they're a baby. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll basically get it ingrained in them that they can't move if they're chained up, and then mm. they can just keep it to a folding chair or something. But, uh, yeah, and then if you catch someone who isn't ready to help themselves, like, they'll, they'll try to tell the people who are moving the chair <laughs> they aren't supposed to be able to move the chair. <laughs> yeah! Like, it, it's kind of like a misery loves company. Yes! Crabs in a bucket. Yes! Like, yeah. But now going back to what you said earlier about having to like limit the the limit certain types of people around you if they're I don't want to say like negative but I mean negative to you. We'll just say if they're yeah if they're lowering your average. Counterproductive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think a lot of that too is like because you you see uh, you see yourself in other people you see the the good in other people as the good in yourself. You also see, like, the not-so-good in other people and yourself, too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm sure especially in, I don't know what AA meetings and stuff are like. I don't know if there's a point in your life where you were in that, like, victim mentality when it came to addiction. But I'm sure if you were, it probably makes you even more irritated somewhere <laughs> seeing other people do that, too. Because it just reminds you of when you were doing it yourself. And you're like... <laughs> well, you know what, actually, uh, what gets me now is uh, the cynicism at mm. at those meetings um you know because i go in there and a lot of people they just act like you know this sobriety thing is just so terrible mm. and i understand that you know a lot of meetings regardless of what they are is a place for common people to vent out you know their frustrations because it's like i've gone to you know several different types of meetings and that's where you know they can express themselves based on that premise but a lot of times also the opposite happens too where people are talking about this gratitude Mm. and they're so grateful and to me it's just kind of like you can be grateful that the sun's shining you know you can be grateful that you know there's no ants on your picnic and everything like that but it's just like for me i come to realize that because of sobriety you know, I have, you know, more physically fit, more spiritually fit, more financially fit, more mentally fit. And and that's just basically it. And it hasn't been just because of the good times. Actually, it's been the testaments and the bad times and the experiences that actually, you know, because that's what made, made it so valuable to me, you know. And so I, I can't be resentful and think of the world as being this cynical ball of lies 
that now that I'm sober, oh my God, you know, it's like really just this shit eating world, you know, that, that, that people are just, you know, cause I guess that actually starts to come back down to the victim mentality. It's just in a, in a logical way instead of an emotional way, you know? And so I get tired of hearing about that. Uh, when I go to sex meetings and, you know, it's just kind of like, I go in there and I'm just happy, you know, I've, I've accomplished so much. And then these people are like these constant reminders of the shame and guilt. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, is anybody like really improving in life? And, you know, is there anything good that they can say about their life? Not, not, not the things outside their life, but do you have a better relationship with yourself? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Can you look at yourself in the mirror now? You know, can you, can you know, that, that's one thing because it's like, even when I go to these meetings, man, one thing that I've seen is that these people still have codependency issues. They still have resentment. They still haven't established boundaries. When you're dealing with something besides drugs and alcohol, but things that you have to deal with in the everyday life, you've got to have boundaries because you're still going to be around them and you're still going to be associated with that shit. So it's like if you have a, if you have a problem shopping, but you still need to buy shit, how do you know when it's a shopaholic or something that's a necessity? Mm. You know, if you're an overeater, how do you know when it's, you know, something that you eat for nourishment and something that you're actually indulging in? So you have to have these boundaries. And so it's like, when I don't see boundaries, there's people that got 30 years sobriety and they still have resentment. So I'm like, you know, give me somebody who's nine months and they're, they're, they're thoroughly sober you know, they've they've reached that point of enlightenment over this 30 years of imprisonment because your ex-wife fucked you, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. You know, a lot of people use that time to I'm sorry, but a lot of people use that time to speak in order to justify, in order to lash out. And I'm just like, that's what you're going to do with your time. Yeah. Well, it's like a it's like a positive feedback loop in in the wrong direction like if you're if you're focused on negativity you're gonna see negativity in the world which is gonna make you think about negativity and you're gonna see more like a anyway see uh, yeah, see i was right like, told you yeah <laughs> and yeah it's just uh it could be a nasty cycle for sure yeah and it's almost uh like a sunk cost uh, they call it like a, a sunk cost fallacy too it's like uh Oh, I was married for 20 years and my wife cheated on me, but like we've already been married 20 years, so like yeah. I wasted all this time. Uh, I might as well like not improve things. <laughs> but it's like those next 20 years or whatever, like those 20 years are gone whether you improve things or not. It's like, do you want to waste the next 20 years or not? And some people just can't like get over that. And then the thing about that is, it's like, you know, it's not like it was all, it's like, you know, terrible. Mm-hmm. You grew as a person even in those 20 years. Yeah. You know, and a lot of things, you know, you you actually develop because of that being in that committed relationship. So once again, you know, I'm just kind of like, you know, if it wasn't, you know, the relationships that I was in. If it wasn't for all these white girls, (laughs) then maybe, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have found sexual sobriety, you know, Uh, or maybe I would have found it sooner. Maybe I, you can't really say, but 
except for the fact that where I'm at right now and how much I do have an appreciation for all women of all colors right now. And I can see them beyond. I could connect with a white woman on a mental level, on a spiritual level, on a that when I say physical, I mean, you know, like we can work out, yeah. you know, I'm not talking about on a sexual level, but it's just kind of like, you know, we can have all these different interlockings together. So just because I say now, hey, I can't have sex with them and it's a specific race or it's a specific type of 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 individuals. It's because I'm still working on my sobriety. And maybe one day that'll come. But at this moment, that's what I'm saying is that, you know, I know for me right there, that is a trigger mm-hmm. for, for a serious relapse. <laughs> yeah, man. So what else, man? What about life? Man, I don't know. I've been, uh, been researching this dude, Ray Pete lately. I think I mentioned him the other day to you. But he, I don't know. It's, it's more just like a physiology and nutrition thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, my whole thing about that, man, because you were talking about, you know, the fats and like ice cream and stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so like one thing I didn't I didn't know until I started reading a little bit about it. Uh, this is actually not what I was going to say, but did you uh, know estrogen is actually a carcinogen? Too much of it can be is what yeah, I Yeah, and men and women both is actually a classified yes. carcinogen. Yeah, but I thought it was necessary. It is necessary up to a certain point. It's just kind of like you can have because if you have like too much testosterone, that's what leads to testicular cancer. I thought. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know about. I'm sure. I don't. I don't know either. So uh, we are not doctors. (laughs) We are not. Not (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But but I I I was under the assumption that you had to have a balance of both, and I mean you know. A manly man can definitely have more testosterone than estrogen, but there's mm-hmm. still some estrogen necessary. Yeah, so like bodybuilders have been doing this for a long time. Like testosterone, like just plain testosterone is very easily, uh, I think the term like aromatizable. So aromatase converts testosterone into estrogen. So if you mm-hmm. take a shit ton of testosterone, you're going to have like the same proportion of testosterone to estrogen because some of it's going to get converted to estrogen. Oh. Estrogen, and you have high testosterone and estrogen. But, yeah. uh, no, uh, I was actually going to say uh, serotonin. Um, uh, I don't know, especially with, like, depression, that serotonin's always been kind of, like, portrayed as, like, a good good thing. Right. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know, though. Uh, not only are depressed people not low in serotonin, you can actually induce depression... Uh, by giving people serotonin, right? But uh, these SSRIs are crazy because uh, it's best that your body that actually ones. works it out itself instead mm-hmm. of inducing. Well, yeah, because or... uh, even like I think ninety percent of the serotonin produced in your body is produced in your gut, like through your intestinal tract. Yes, and they've said for a long time that it can't it can't uh, get through the intestinal wall and like, get to your bloodstream to the brain. Um, I, I believe it actually can though. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the, not only mental health problems, but, uh, uh, fun fact, you can also induce like psychotic symptoms or even schizophrenia like symptoms by giving people serotonin, <laughs> um, which was just crazy for like, I don't know, maybe I'm just like fascinated by the sky being blue here. Like, uh, maybe I'm just a simpleton, but no, no, no. I always thought yeah. serotonin was like a, a good thing. Right. Uh, but yeah. That's what it's associated uh, with. It's like, yeah. The, yeah. But, um, 
Oh gosh. I mean, just kind of tying back to like the the victim mentality thing. I mean, that kind of drives me crazy with the the mental health treatment. Like they they treat depression like it's a <laughs> a thing that happens to you that's completely out of your control. Right. Where it kind of could be a chicken and the egg type thing, maybe where uh, maybe you get depressed and then you start eating like shit and stop stop stopping physical activity. Um, Which can be depressing. And, or yeah, or maybe right. you start eating like shit and stopping physical activity and then you get depressed. Um, Throws off your sleep. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's a clear cut answer as to which comes first, but uh, it, it's just so weird. People are like they they are almost fighting to defend the thing keeping them down. It's like yeah, yeah. You try to tell someone who's going through it, like, hey man, like I know you don't feel like it, but you just got to get out of bed and like do something, right? Or like get some good food. You know, it's just the like, oh, I can't because I'm depressed. It's like yeah, <laughs> it's like it's completely out of their control. Yeah. But I don't know. I think if it's like a chicken and the egg thing one way as to what's causing it, it's probably just the same in reverse. Like um, maybe you start eating better and working out and you feel better. Or maybe you start feeling better and you start eating uh, eating better and working out. But it doesn't really matter. I don't think it does. You I mean, go it, at it from both ways. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I do want to keep throwing in sleep in there, too. Cause no, sleep that's, for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a big factor because, you know, for a simple fact that, you know, you can go you know, 24 hours without eating and you'll be all right. You go 24 hours without sleeping and there will be significant, you know. I used to be able to handle it when yeah. I was younger and I'm, I'm not even like an old man yet. Right. <laughs> man, the earlier I can get to sleep, the happier I am. Yeah. Like, uh, and and then if you, do, if you don't get your, if you don't get your sleep and you got to get up, man, it's like you're pissed. Yeah. And, uh. Man, when I was, uh, I, was, I don't know, I was probably 14, 15, I would stay up for like two and a half days in a row on the weekends because I was, I was doing this little part-time like scorekeeping job. Yeah. Uh, but by, by the third day I was awake in a row, dude, I was like uh, straight up hallucinating. Like it, it wasn't like mushroom hallucination. Right. It was just like <laughs> losing touch with reality hallucinations. Right. Yeah. Start seeing the shadow people out of the corner of your eyes. Like Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm for sure all about, cause like, I, I don't know, you can, even if you're doing a lot of things right, if you're just, I, I don't know, I feel like sleep just controls so much of your quality of life. Like yeah. if you're doing everything right and you're only sleeping four hours a night, you're probably still going to be somewhat miserable. Lacking somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I know n- myself when I don't get sleep, I definitely start eating shitty. I go. I have. Mm, I have an yeah. appetite for salty sweet. That's an actual thing. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it increases your appetite. When and then hard. when I eat shitty, I definitely don't feel like working out. Mm. So you know, I do have to do something. Mm. So sometimes for me, it's easier for me to work out. So that because it's easier, it actually doesn't fix it. Mm. So I have to fix my sleep. So that's how it works for me, in order to uh, get balanced back. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's just kind of like it's, if you if you just you just got to start, you know, something. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know, I, I just really feel like, you know, the people who who do go towards a victim mentality, it is a survivor mentality versus a thriving mentality. And if you're a victim, there's no way that you can thrive. You can thrive in life in any way that you see it. Yeah. 
Whereas if you have a survivor mentality and you play this victim, well, then basically you're just hanging on to the next anniversary or the next, you know, time or to the, even to the next victimization that happens to you, you know? And, and so once again, like I said, that's, that's no way to, to live a life uh, that's actually suffering. And one of the greatest things that I heard is like pain is something that happens to you. Suffering is something that you do to yourself. Yeah. And so, you know, despite what's going on in your life, one of the things that I realized is that you can choose to be happy. And it's difficult, you know, and it's not always going to go your way. That's not the reason why you should be happy, you know, because you got what you wanted. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, that's when, you know, I, I realize myself that everything that happens is lessons of blessings. So, well, yeah, and you're talking a lot about the like resentment you saw in, in addicts, like for whatever reason, whether it was the addiction or their wife cheating on them, like mm-hmm. not to get petty about it, but I feel like the, the best uh, revenge, if you want to call it that against the world or some specific person who wronged you is, is taking all the, the negative energy and, uh, like transmuting it into the most positive thing you can. Yeah. Like it's got to be so demoralizing for the <laughs> for the other person. It's like the worst thing you could have put them through ended up being their their greatest gift. Yeah. You know, I I agree. And you know, and even to a higher level for me is not even giving them the credit. Mm. You know, it's yeah. just kind of <laughs> it's just kind of like you know, you know, because of this that happened to me, you know, this is what I'm doing for all others. And I'm not posting it. I'm just doing it, you know. And and that's why I don't have a social media account, because it's just kind of like to all the the, the women out there that think they are waiting around for me to uh, make amends to them. You know, and I never come around, <laughs> but then I end up living this dope ass life, you know, <laughs> it's like, wait, he never apologized to me. He never tried to write his wrong with me. It's like, no, that's one thing that I did learn. Some things was because of an addiction. Some things was because I was a selfish 20 year old asshole. It had nothing to do with drugs. It had to do with being 20 and experiencing life, you know, and I don't apologize for that. I, I became a better person because of that. But, you know, some of those things. You know, it's not like, oh, I was an addict and all that. No, I was 20. I didn't know shit. You know what I mean? I was selfish. Yeah, it is a weird thing. It's kind of like uh, it feels ingenuine to, like, apologize for something that wasn't a mistake. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it might have it might have been a wake-up call for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why were you fucking with me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Where were you at? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> shit. You thought that was sexy? You know what I mean? <laughs> shit. So, so yeah, I, you know, you know, uh, th- those are the things that, you know, are beyond my control. So, I, I feel like, you know, life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. You know? But all right, this is Dwight. Sam. I holler. Peace. Yes. One mic.